everybody. This is Deb Schultz. Welcome to Tunnel Vision, episode number 48. Our guest this week is Brian Zisk. For those of you tuning in for the first time, Tunnel Vision is a, pod- is a weekly podcast where we talk about the art of social engagement in business, culture, and tech, and how to, in a world where we're all networked together, keep the human beings and the people in the center of everything, and how you catalyze uh, this grand networked world of individuals together for action, whether it be in a media sense, in a business sense, in a political sense, etc., etc. And I am here with one of my co-hosts. The other one's running a little late. I'm here with Kevin Marks. Say hi, Kev. Hi there. And where are you tonight, this evening? I'm live from San Jose in my own house, actually. You're, oh, you're home. Awesome. And I'm be invaded by poodles shortly. Yeah, but they're very, yeah. Kevin has a whole flock of poodles. We, we learn these things despite social media only when we started doing a podcast together. And we have our guest this evening is Brian Zisk. Hey, Brian. Thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. So, Brian, when I, um, have uh, thought about a good way to describe you. I, um, Andrew, our producer, asked, so what does Brian do? I said, well, he tumbles music. <laughs> I'm a professional yenta. A professional yenta. <laughs> For those who don't know, yenta, yes, the professional gossip. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think of it that way, but you are the um, only one of the tumble crowd who is actually physically at CES. So I thought we might start off this week and finding mm-hmm. out what was interesting and this year's 2011 CES? Well, I mean, it was huge. I think their uh, traffic was up about 10%. It was, uh, I think there were about 30% of the folks were in from other company, uh, other countries. And that, it's really amazing how it's expanding the international presence. Um, there was a lot of stuff, but a lot of it didn't seem all that interesting. You know, I mean, honestly. <laughs> like uh, what? Well, the not interesting stuff I just kind of glossed over, so let's not go there. In regards to music, there was a lot of uh, wireless delivery of music, more and more. Really so- wireless? Like, I'm Sonos, really wireless stuff. Sonos-like devices where I can take my controller, which is either my iPhone or Android device, and control my, you know, either my Pandora stations or my home audio collection and stream them remotely to, you know, to a device, sort of what, you know, Apple's doing with Apple TV. But really, there are tons of those folks now. By far, it seemed the biggest things were tablets. And since everybody's trying to emulate the iPad, but doesn't don't have access to the operating system, uh, Android was really a major story. And also, you know, uh, Apple with both the App Store for their computers as well as what's going to happen with Verizon really dominated. And it was really interesting because neither of those folks had, you know, major booth style presences and uh, they really were the big stories. So, uh, you know, we've, we've got that all right here in San Francisco. You didn't even have to go to Vegas. Oh, well, yeah, but you know, everyone needs to go to a con. It's Vegas. It's a con. It's CES. You don't go for the booths. You go for the, you know, um, you know, was there more? For the schmoozing. For the schmoozing, right. You're just going to throw in as many Yiddish words as possible this evening. (laughs) Those are the two I use. Those are the two most people use. Yeah, exactly. So was there, um, you know, we have all these devices. Was Mm -hmm. there, was there, um, 
a lot of software and stuff? Was it, was it, were any of these things, are they easy to set up and use? I'm trying to think with our sort of human centered design focus here on Tumble Vision. I, I, you know, I remember like when I first bought my first set of wireless speakers and hooked it up to an airport express mm-hmm. and all that. I have since been searching and searching for more wireless stuff. And all these things are never sort of that easy to set right. up. Are people looking at a whole, you know, at an ecosystem? Do you think it's easier now as they're... Well, soft- it's clearly easier. But how easy it is, I mean, it's absolutely simple if you listen to the folks in the booths. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't really, you know, I didn't, I didn't disassemble and try to hook it back up. So I can't really speak to that. But, but everything is getting better. I mean, it was interesting. Like, uh, one of my websites was down for two to three hours yesterday, and I was like, you know, we were freaking out. But I remember back in the 90s when that was happening, you know, four times a month. So it, it, things are getting better, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I will guarantee that not everything uh, is as easy to set up as a consumer as it appears to be in a booth at CES. So is CES still – I've only been to CES twice. Is it still the place where it's about the device and not necessarily about the content? So- it's much more about the hardware, absolutely, and it's much more about the big manufacturers. So, you know, the huge Toshiba booths. and I mean, it, 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 it's something that everybody should do, but, you know, there's more and more social media there as we That's move what I was- forward. That's what I was curious about. Yeah, because everybody all, everybody wants to amplify what they're doing, and how do they amplify it? You know, there's a couple of press folks who come around, and there are thousands of folks who'll tweet about you. So uh, social media is becoming more and more important there, as it seems to be everywhere. Yeah, but there's lots of noise, and there's not enough curation. The there's word so much noise. It's but there's incre- always been noise. Yes, so Why a lot of it is, is personal reputation, you know, you see what Kathy Brooks is saying and you believe her and you, right. you know, but there's just tons of stuff coming at you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Was, um, why do you think, so why do you think attendance was up 10%? Well, I think, you know, I think international, uh, increased a lot. I'm not really sure. I think that as the economy is really, really tough, Folks have to reach out in more creative ways to try to figure out how to get business. Um, there were a lot of, you know, and I hate to say it because, you know, I'm friends with all the CEA guys, but guys and gals, but there were a lot of lookers, you know, there were a lot of folks who, you know, these booths were packed. And, they were. you know, I mean, the Intel booth was packed. There were 600 people in the Intel booth at any moment. And I'll guarantee they weren't all buying chips. You know, mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, I, I don't really know why it's up, but but I think more and more folks realize they've got to meet with people face to face in order to to move what they're doing forwards. Exactly. Face to face, even though they're selling technology. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, but, but that's I mean, it's, it is that's it. It's a lot of it is. That's where that group get together and yes, you know, decide exactly. to talk to. They're mostly talking to each other. Um, yeah. So you know, it's like NAB or you know, any of these other big, big Vegas shows where half the point is there's a bunch of stalls there, but that's that's the that's the sort of cost of entry to actually getting there and having the conversations with people a lot of the time, isn't it? Yeah, the interesting thing has always been to me um, how much press uh, you know uh, shows up. Oh, we're getting Heather in because. Uh-huh. Um, Hey, everyone. Sorry to be a little late tonight. No Hi, problem. Heather. 
Hey, Brian, how are you? Fabulous. Good to virtually see you. It's been a while. No kidding. Brian Zisk, he's the man who gave me my first blurb a million years ago. And what oh, was wow. it? It was if Heather Gold was on television, I'd actually watch it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Excellent. A blurb, <laughs> a blurb that still holds. So we were just sort of going over some CES stuff and, you know, nothing's really changed since, you know, Brian was the only one of all of us who went there. Hey, was um, there anything worth going there for, Brian? Um, well, I mean, to connect with other people, that's really what it was about. I mean, I didn't see any technologies that I was like, oh, my God, this is groundbreaking. I mean, there's, you know, it's good for trends. You see there's more and more solar and alternative sort of stuff. I was talking about, you know, in my interest area, more wireless delivery of music. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, I mean – it's all about the people, and I met some fabulous people and connected with fabulous people, but I wasn't – there was nothing that I was like either, oh, my God, I'm going to have to buy this or, oh, my God, this is going to change everything. I did not see that. I'm curious. What was the last time anything showed at CES that was that? Um, yeah, right. It was good stuff last year, but that's like decades ago. I can't even remember. <laughs> I, I don't remember anything really that noteworthy. I think it's it, it's in a way the hardware is there just to have the people get together. Right. That's, yeah. Right. We were just talking about that. It's it's <laughs> it's really it. it really is an industry event that sort of gets outsiders to peek in because mainstream media shows up because they're cool gadgets, you know. Uh, and I, you know, I'm, I've never, I don't even know what the, I, I guess you said, Brian, I'm, I'm sure the big guys do do business there, but I actually think the whole freaking show is mm -hmm. just one big marketing thing. You know, it's you, not, you're right. And, it's and I weird think because it's an industry event that really, I don't think any industry business happens at. Well, I, I think <laughs> a lot happens. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause there are industry, you know, that I used to be, my first job out of college was in banking and I ran Citibank's corporate events. And so it was an industry event, but business got done there, right? Right. And, you know, no outsiders peeked in because freaking it's banking, right? Right. But here, this is like supposedly an industry insider, meaning like business gets done there. Well, not, there were, I mean, I know that in the suites, there were a lot of things, you, think, you know, yeah. where, I'm like, sure they do. you know, the right buyer goes and meets, but you're not gonna, you're not gonna like be poking around on the show floor. If you're, you know, if you're right. a legitimate supplier to Toshiba or something like that. Yeah, so. it's just, I, don't, I just don't know if that's the way, uh, um, yeah, I'm not on the retail side of the business, so I don't know how this stuff works. But yeah, exactly. Brian, is it still very booth babe heavy? Just curious. Um, not as much as it used to be, in my opinion. Um, I I didn't notice. You know, you, there were a couple of obvious ones, but I remember going a couple of years ago, and every booth had booth babes, and uh, it, it wasn't. You know. It, but then again, I'm not the type of guy who's like going around to all the booths that I don't have interest in and going, hey, what are you doing? You know, no, so I, I just wondered if the culture shifted, if it changed at all. I think it did. You know, it is the same time as the as the uh, I was porn say, is it still awards. Back, is it still back to back with the porn awards? Yes, it is. Yeah. So there you go. Um, so, so what did you, what do you do when you go to an event like that, Brian, to tumble people? Like, do you have a particular thing you do? Do you, is it, do you line up who you're connecting with ahead of time? Do you, how do you connect it, people it with varies. each other? It varies. 
It varies. The way that, I mean, CES is very different from other shows. Basically, I put on my walking shoes and I just walk, um, knowing that in the evening is when I'm going to more or less connect with the folks I know. And it's really interesting because, you know, I, I got there and I walked around and in the first four hours I saw four people I knew, you know, and then I wandered by the Grace Note booth and there were probably 20 people I knew in that one booth. Um, but you line up your evening events and, you know, you, you, you follow on Foursquare and you see where people are aggregating and you just kind of go to them. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest, uh, you know, uh, improvements to how to deal with events um, has been the feeds that come out of people checking in and being able to say, oh, there's something hot going on over there. Um, I, I generally try not to set appointments during the day just because, you know, the way I kind of deal with things is take in as much information as possible and kind of parse it all down. Um, but, and then the evening events were, were really, really good. The Consumer Electronics Association themselves throws some incredible events you know, I met Congress people and folks from the White House. And I mean, it's just, really? that's, yes. And, uh, and then, um, you know, and then a lot of folks, you know, Lenovo had a bunch of great events that, you know, Chris and Christy were throwing. And, you know, that, of course, would bring 70 people I knew from all around the country. And, you know, I didn't really see Brian Solis there this year, but he usually brings together, you know, hundreds of folks. I didn't run into any of you. Um you know, it's, I, I don't know, you know, it seems like there was less kind of junketing among the social media Bay Area crowd. I don't know if it's a time for everybody to get down to business um, or something, but it was, it was, uh, you know, the, 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 the seeing where folks are on your wireless devices is actually, uh, you know, quite an interesting uh, development. Yeah, I think that's a that you're right. That is a, a kind of big improvement. So, you know, you you mentioned this around events and how you how you do events, Brian. So, sure, you you are an event producer yourself, correct? Yes, I am. Yes, I so, am. So, so how did you get started in 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 that side of of the business? And did you start first in the in the music biz? And well, well you I'm seem all... to come to this sort of community from an offline perspective mm-hmm. um, and tumbling people very sure. naturally. Well, I mean, I, I, I love it. You know, my dad was a schmoozer and I just grew up with it. So, you know, when I went to NYU, I was into events. I go to events every night and I would just absolutely love it. And then, you know, I got into, you know, got out of my business in New York, came here in the early 90s, started doing a newsletter of events called San Francisco. It was an email <laughs> Oh, uh, cool. You know, it was fun, you know, <laughs> and it was uh, it was on the well and it was, you know, through email. And then yeah, that's the- where I got blurbs. <laughs> and oh, then the. Cool. Yep, that's right. I was sending people and it. It's so great because you could add value because, you know, you're telling people about great events and you're helping the promoters and you're helping the performers. And it just worked and it scaled really well because everybody else who add who joined the email list it would add more value with absolutely no additional resources so it was really it was a really great thing and then what happened was i saw i don't know if you guys know don hopkins but i saw don hopkins yeah. do a, a a website for himself and i think it was 93 and i was like 
oh my God, this is the future. This is where people can create their own media and da 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 da. And I was like, so what do I have to do? And it was like, it wasn't even coding to put up. Well, it was coding, but it wasn't programming to, you know, put up a website. And I had, uh, I already had weekly content that I was creating. So I was really the first folks, the first person who was, had a, you know, a website about events. And it was really, those were back in the days when, you know, there were, there were websites that would list the new websites that were on the web that day. And, you know, oh, yeah. It was fun. And so all the folks who would go on the web, they'd be like, okay, well, what's around San San Francisco? And they'd kind of see my stuff and it would work that way. And so there were a lot of folks who were, you know, on the web, but not on the web, but they were, you know, computer visionaries who then I helped get on the web. And hopefully people can forgive me for that, folks like, (laughs) you know, Dave Weiner. I knew you were going to say Dave first. So... So I apologize. Um, no, it's just because you apologized before you said the name. So I'm like, who's he apologizing? They would have all gotten on anyway. So yeah. it really didn't have much uh, to do with me. So then we did the Greenwich Internet Radio, which was all the open source audio, which was like Icecast and mm-hmm. Vorbis and Slack and started the Ziff Foundation, which now so, does Theora, which is in the so- news Week. Why, why Brian, are in all, of these, in all of these things? Are you so concerned with connecting people with each other? Because that's all there is in life. I mean, that's all there is. If you're not connecting, then what else is there? It's like a sad, lonely existence if you're not connecting. I mean, that's, that's all there is. Well, do, I mean, there's plenty of people who are designers and coders who might not think mm-hmm. that that's what their job is, you know? Sure. Well, you know, it's, it's, we all have our own thing. And this, this to me is, you know, for me, it's finding interesting people and connecting interesting people. And that to me is, is really what it's all about. And, uh, you know, I don't even know what else to say, except it just, it makes so much sense. You know, it's, it's, you know. So how, how then are you not uh, a recruiter or, um, I mean, you've you've been really more of sort of a startup advisor, but you're sure. you're kind of doing the same things Sunny Bates or you know to some degree, mm-hmm. you know, people are yeah. doing. So how is it that you're not thought of as a as a human resources person? Because I don't charge for it. Um, you know, I clearly could make good money being a recruiter, but then I'm also responsible. You know, it's like. So and so didn't work out. I'm like, well, I got my money. Who cares? You know, I mean, it, no. I, I was just thinking when Heather when Heather said that, I'm like, oh wait, so a Tumblr is like a BD person who doesn't get paid. <laughs> you know, but but uh-huh. but I think, you're, but you know, or without the responsibility. But I think that's <laughs> Brian. That's a really. Do you think if you do you, do you think if you got paid for making connections, it would change how you do it? Well, I think it would because now I can really speak freely. You know, it's like if I'm, if I'm getting paid for, uh, you know, if if I'm getting, you know, if, if I need, I I don't know, you know, I mean, I I don't want to talk down about recruiters because, you know, they're fabulous. They serve a purpose, but it's very much like, you know, here's the hole, fit the thing in it. And it's like, for me, uh, you know, I'd much rather, recommend like everybody who's fabulous as a fabulous person. And I'm not, you know, just because I go person X is fabulous. That doesn't mean you should marry them 
or hire them, you know, and, and. But I also think there's something a little more organic about what you're talking about. Like what you're saying is, is. Much much so. Is, um, when you do it in, in a human resources or business development context, it's much more about the end result. It's, it's transactional, right? Is what you're talking about? So, so Brian, I mean, what the, I think the, the place I first met you was the Faux List. Um, uh, and I, oh, my God, that's totally... You just and that was a back. great tumbling example, really, wasn't it? That, that Can was, you explain it to folks who don't know what the Faux List is? Brian, do you want to do it? The Faux List is a group of I don't know how many people, I would bet about 2,000 now, who get together to talk about music and technology. And uh, it started uh, with Jim Griffin, who at the time I think was Mm -hmm. CTO of Geffen Records, and John Paris, who was working for, uh, had come from Disney and was working for Ron Burkle and Mike Ovitz. And it started really organically. And that, I think, was was one of the keys. Honestly, at this point, I don't know if you're still on it. The whole list is still going? It's still going and it's high volume and I it's never a lot unsubscribed. Of, I was in like the early heyday uh, of MP3s, you know. It, it is, you know, and there's a lot of folks who aren't really influencers who like to just keep presenting their point of view. However, in the early days when it was like ten people and then fifty people and then a hundred people, and you'd have, you know, Hillary Rosen going after Michael Robertson. Yeah, you know, yeah. It was um, a lot of like before the blogging got heavy, you had very intense debate and conversation around actually pretty important stuff that, it, that, that it, nobody knew what to do. It was sort of Wild West musical days. Yes, it was it was a new time and, you know, the, the positions weren't as hardened as they are now. And uh-huh. it was I mean, it was interesting because I did digital music. So everyone was like thief. And I'm like, well, actually, everything I do is licensed and I buy half a million dollars worth of CDs a year and I pay royalties. And if you're going to try to shut me down, what's the hope for your business? Because computers make copies and that's never going to stop. And how can artists and labels figure out how to take advantage of this new incredible distribution method? And, and, and they were just like, we don't care. Thief must crush. And <laughs> it was, you know, and, and, and the music industry has evolved. Very little, but not <laughs> not as much as you might think. But I was involved in those days because I was um, part of the first music team at Apple. There weren't very many of us before Steve Jobs came back. So my life was very much about music online. And mm-hmm. almost every uh, iteration, media iteration I've seen since the mid-90s has been pretty similar, whether it's newspapers or book mm-hmm. publishing, mm-hmm. Uh, television a little bit. We dealt with back then and, you know, we'll see movies, but it's – they, they, the latter two seem a little more together about it, but you generally see this sort of uh, everything, you're destroying everything reaction. <laughs> uh, and then someone does try to destroy everything and gets away with it for a little while, and then they don't get away with it as long as they used to. And then it's just kind of a slow muddle to the center. But there's always somebody kind of tumbling in the middle of it all. You got very, when you started Future of Music Coalition, mm-hmm. Um, and some of the conferences you put together, you seem to me you got very involved in not only bringing people from the so-called both sides together, but trying to, um, which is a little different than biz dev, right? Like you should meet mm-hmm. this person, you should meet this person. You're kind of creating an environment or, or with creating a focus. Creating a marketplace, it's, actually, yeah. is mm-hmm. what it's about. And whether mm-hmm. it's a marketplace of ideas or a marketplace for commerce, um, that's what happens when people come together with the intent to, 
to connect and to transact. And but you catalyze them coming together. And, and one of the things that I think um, is interesting is that very often, unless you have a, unless you are a producer of a conference, right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or unless you are in the entertainment industry specifically, right? You know, so you're the exec producer of a film, or um, I, I know less about the music industry, but the you know mm-hmm. the, the guy, the A and R guy putting together, I guess the 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 band and the label and the artwork and the, I don't know how that works as well. In those two instances, people kind of get that someone needs to be the producer, the catalyzer who brings everyone together. Oh, right? uh, yeah, of but, course. But in, in all these other ways of, of, of business and, and the world, it's sort of people just expect it to happen. Right? Yeah, pe- people don't realize how important, like, catalysts are. Um, and... And, and it's vital. Without it, it, it wouldn't happen. Folks need to take risks. Folks need to, you know, be willing to put their, you know, reputation on the line. And it really shakes out. There are definitely folks who, you know, you're like, oh, I'd never go to their conference. And there are other folks who you're like, that's a total corporate conference. And then there are other folks where it's like, I go to their event every night of the week. And, you know, and then people don't put it on every night of the week because it would kill them. But it's really about drawing in the right people. If you get the right people, the interesting people, everything else takes care of itself. And if you get the wrong people, it's going to be a failure. It's it's all about getting the interesting people. And so, so something that something that got me about the faux list originally was that people did actually meet up and and eat soup together and have a chat face to face. Yes, indeed. Yes, and that indeed. helped make the community actually work. So even though you were, you know, arguing with each other about, you right. know, whether who was destroying whom, um, yes. you would also every now and then see some of them and and, and talk and, and have a have a face to face conversation. And then yes. that that sense would go back into the list. I think it's one of the reasons it it um, it lasted so well. In most cases, people don't seem as evil when you meet them in person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sometimes the way, they seem more evil. Sometimes they're more <laughs> evil, right. I mean, it, I wasn't um, – I might have been on the full list, but I doubt it. Um, but I was in um, back in New York back then, and I was on uh, WAC, which was sort of the East Coast's version. Um, the, the WAC list, which was um, on something called Echo, which stood for yep. East Coast Hangout NYC. Like the East Coast Well. It was the East Coast Well. And – Kevin brings up, you know, you bring up the civility angle when you know you're going to see someone face-to-face or even if you meet them face-to-face once. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting because, um, you know, listservs back then were the online communities, Facebooks, mm-hmm. Twitter, hashtag ephemeral communities that, uh, of today, right? And there was something, there's something to be said for the fact that you knew you might see that person or you had met them. And what even, the just, real- even just once. Changes One the of the now. real unique things about uh, Echo, if I'm correct, and The Well, and it's funny because it's coming around now with Quora, as I understand, even though yes. I avoided it, is that... That's what we wanted to talk about tonight. Folks Brian. are uniquely identified. Uh, they, they may be pseudonymous, but you, are, you own your own words, as they say on The Well, and everyone thought that meant you have the right to go after someone who takes your words and puts them off the well. But that really wasn't what it meant. What it was is 
what you say is a reflection of who you are. And when it's, you know, a listserv or, you know, folks are anonymous, you can just shoot your mouth off and it's never going to come back to you. But when you are going to meet someone eventually in person or when it's tied back to you, uh, folks are much more uh, caring about how they affect other folks uh, in most cases. Yeah, I'd also argue maybe in in a certain sense, maybe it's coming back around with Quora. I don't use Quora that much. I'm just starting to play with it. It is more like a listserv in the sense that in all those forums and listservs, not only were you attributed, but you had the entire thread in front of you at all times. Mm -hmm. And so there was usually someone who, you know, or more than one person. Um, By the way, someone's typing really loud. There was... um, one side that, you know, could be this sort of, uh, you know, railing against someone and was completely uncivilized. And then there would be, you know, one or two people who'd come in and try to be the mediators, which are more like the tumblers. But it all sort of had much more of a conversational tone because the stuff lived there for a while. What do you mm-hmm. think, Kevin? You were on a lot of listservs back then. And that's very different, I think, than the way that we're creating social software today, which is like status updates. They're not really conversations. They're everyone... Well- they're, it depends how you use them. Mm-hmm. If you look at a, uh, just for example, Elaine tweeted. There's a Chantek has a very mm-hmm. nice, very current post about his attempt. Actually, it's a, it's an own interesting thing. We should get him on to yes. talk about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, trying to make it so that you can own your own data, and he's posting to Twitter and to social media from his own server and his own site, not yes. and syndicating out. But mm-hmm. if you look at this current post he has, and I think it's just t a n t e k dot com. He quotes a whole sort of ongoing conversation he had with Jeffrey Zeldman at mm-hmm. Zeldman uh, through tweets, and you get a sense of it ongoing. Now he went and harvested it and put it on that but site. That's my maybe, point. He harvest. He had to harvest it, it, it or maybe happen. he didn't because it's on his own server. He didn't right. have to. Well, kill he, it. he. I love what he's working on. It's the idea that you publish on your own. That you for those who don't aren't necessarily following you, you, you write your own stuff, whether it's a blog or whatever it is, and you create it on your own server and then you publish it out to the web instead of what we're doing these days, which is publishing out to the web and then trying to search and pull it back. I, you know, I, I, I completely agree, but it's, it's interesting to think about, and I hadn't thought about this in a while, the way that we used to sort of have back and forth conversations and, and listservs versus how we're doing it today, much more disjointed. Don't you think it's more disjointed, Kev, than it used to be um, on, like, the faux list and other places? Well, yes. I mean, that, that's, more that's, immediate, that's, but I don't know if it's... Well, um, it depends. I mean, the thing is, what we... The, the difference is that there, you would always see the whole conversation. Right. Um, and so you, you, the ones that, that sort of sustain themselves had to have someone there tumbling them to make them work. So the, mm-hmm. the faux list had people who were damping that down. The, the right. long-running listservs that I've, you know, that I've been on for 10 years have always had these sort of anchor characters... Right. Who weren't necessarily the most talkative there, but they were the ones who were, you know, setting the tone and keeping the others in line. And, and you know, the um, the avid mailing list, the avid L, is another like very very long running list for, for video editors, um, originally based around people using avid. And it was just this place where you'd hang out while you were waiting for your video to conform and, and chat with people about that. <laughs> you mean for days on end? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but when when nine eleven happened, suddenly. Everyone was talking about 9-11 in there and what they could see and what they found out and, you know, the footage they were seeing and, and, and stuff like that. It was this, it was the same sense of, um, a community that was there and 
that, that you that you see with these these, these online things too. I think the difference I mean, is, that's yeah. My point: there's there's much more of. A, I'm sounding like a real cynical downer today. I'm just thinking about it versus the lists. There's much more of a sense of. It's much more ephemeral today. Our 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 conversations. There's there's you're, you're less bound to, and I'm trying not to use the word community, you know, but um, but you're, you there's less connect ongoing connectedness. So um, and there's no usual Tumblr or anchor person as you said. So you know, I'm just is that one of the reasons our discourse is not as civil in a lot of these places? Um. Well, I think that, I don't think that's. I think the difference is that that. The fact that we don't all see every every piece of the conversation is what makes these things stable at scale. Um, it was very, you know, right. That's true. Um, the what you what because the thing that Twitter that makes Twitter stable over other systems um, is that you can say something and the people who see it, the people who've chosen to follow you, and then if you can reply to someone can reply to it, and you may not be following them, but you see the replies, and you can sort of have a back and forth with people over it. But yeah, it's 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 hard to dig the threads out. There's there's a nice tool that um, Aaron Schwartz wrote, tweeted the info that actually reconstructs these threads for you once you've had one of these long back and forths. Um, oh yeah, we should tweet that out so that people I, can get that. You know, Kevin, I actually Heather, disagree Heather with something. Can I can I just just, yeah, just say um, no, not heckle, but I I think that you can make these things work at scale, not just with not seeing every piece of the combo. Because if you think about blogging. Uh, what made blogging scale was bloggers. And this is the argument I made to the guy I met running, running maps at Google um, or places. I think with tumbling, if we really were to design platforms with more assumptions of tumbling in them, and I think there's, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of that in, in Twitter, but it could have been designed even more to assume more tumbling. Uh, and Brian, I'm interested in your take. If you, if you assumed more social connecting by the, by the people who are going to really tumble their sphere – then it would scale based on what we each do mm-hmm. rather than relying on the data st- structure to scale it for us. Right. Or search, <laughs> right? right it's yeah. like everyone's defaulted to search, Heather. That's why, you know, your point about Tantic being able to do, you know, bring his entire conversation with Zeldman and him back. I mean, not everyone's as geeky as, as T, right? So, <laughs> Um, so not everyone, almost nobody, almost <laughs> except Spock, maybe you couldn't, yeah. you didn't get my, my, uh, my facetiousness <laughs> didn't come out on that one. <laughs> I just wanted to get my joke in. Come on. <laughs> oh, okay. That's fine. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, but, but you know, you're right. I mean, there's not enough of an, there's this assumption as you know, we started saying before that, I don't know the conversation with the places guy and, and, and Brian, how you feel about it. People just think this stuff is just going to happen. And I think that's the difference, Kevin, that I find it incredibly difficult to follow a thread of a conversation on Twitter over too many back and forths, you know, for lots of reasons. But right. if there, you know, if you think about, they could build in tools where the retweet was, a separate link. So you didn't have to retweet with 140 characters and all you're left with is because that's because if you actually think about it, Twitter is horrible for tumblers because tumblers usually connect or people mm. connecting the data and the information. And if people have used 140 characters, there's no room to tumble. <laughs> right. I mean, all you can do is retweet. So no, I think there's, there's room to, 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 well, I think there is, but you'd have to, you have to attempt to, to do it intentionally. Brian, have right. you, how much time have you spent connecting people on Twitter? Uh, 
connecting people. I, it's much more a broadcast medium, personally. Um, I don't necessarily – no, I mean, sometimes I will, but not nearly as much as I do in every other manner of communication. I mean, it's much more – I, as I was saying earlier about Foursquare, you know, it doesn't matter – everybody checking in individually, what happens is you end up with these feeds and the feeds are what's of interest. And it's really funny because, you know, it's like, what part of the elephant is it? I'm sure my feed looks very different from your feed and incredibly different from someone who lives in Egypt's feed. And it, uh, you know, to me, it's more of a broadcast medium. And then there's the feeds and the search. So I agree. It's not as great for connecting people. I mean, I think Foursquare is a little better because really? Interesting. because folks aggravate, uh, aggravate, aggravate. Interesting. <laughs> Very, they, I'm, they, uh, I'd like to pitch a VC on an aggravating service. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of people do. Wait, um, isn't that Facebook? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. I think Facebook is better for connecting people than Twitter is. I think Twitter's a limited medium and, and it's fabulous for what it is and it's unique. Um, but, um, you know, but I, I, it's, it's not, I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's, it's not nearly as good as, you know, I mean, like when you were on the well or you were on echo or you were on list there was kind of just by being part of that community it kind of gave everyone a connection and but you know it's like i'm on twitter you're on twitter isn't everyone on twitter well I they were they're a little more focused so brian let me ask you since you please. you've helped start a company so, mm-hmm. so we're just now we're describing how we deal with what we have but if you were to help to have input in making something new and different what would be important in a platform to help you connect people what would you like it to well, have? I mean, I, I love something that connected me with the folks who, who are interesting. I mean, it's like I spend so much time parsing through huge amounts of data to figure out what I'm, what I'm interested in. I, I spend more time trying to find the interesting stuff than I actually do looking at the interesting stuff. Um, and that may be one of the things, even though I'm not a Quora user yet, give me a week. Um, it seems <laughs> like that's very good at bubbling up the 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 interesting viewpoints and the interesting people um and that may be you know i speculate one of the reasons it's been taking off so much um you know it's 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 how do you you know it's like all of us when we meet each other we're like i i recognize you as as someone who's interesting and that and then you know then we're friends forever but i don't come across I, you know, and on the well or on any of these things, I'll be like, oh my God, that person is fascinating. I'm sure it happens on Quora. And on Twitter, I don't usually, you know, read a tweet by someone I don't know. And then I'm like, oh my God, that person's fabulous. I need to get to know them better. And it may be lacking a little bit in the, 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 the connecting people who don't know each other arena. That's something that I would, you know, I mean, you see how much, you know, how successful all the dating sites are or even through Facebook. Oh, my God, that friend of a friend looks really interesting. Or, you know, I've seen them signed up to all the same events and there they are in person. And well, I Brian, recognize. Gonna... Oops, sorry. I, I'm just going to jump in because I, I'm going to bet. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I'm going to bet it's also because. As someone who naturally connects interesting people, as you said, at edges, because you like to connect people like mm-hmm. I do from different 
walks of life. You know, right. I do it a lot in, in the business sense. Heather does it in her shows and stuff. Kevin tries to do it across technology divides, I guess. Um, you probably connect with the, the more complete entity that is the person rather than one just one thing that they've said. Because you said in a, in, a, in a way you find Facebook easier to connect with people probably because you see more of who they are as a three-dimensional person mm-hmm. on Facebook than on Twitter. Which Absolutely. is kind of which is which is interesting. I actually find Facebook just too cluttered for me in that sense, and mm-hmm. it takes too long. And and so, but Twitter, you can connect people quickly over a bit or bite of information or dialogue. But the way that you're describing sure. it, it's probably because to you it feels very unemotional and discreet and flat, right? It's not. Yeah, and there's and there's no real grouping, you know. I mean, on the well, there would be eight thousand people. On Echo, there was like two thousand, you know. And then that would drill down whether you're in the guns conference or you know, or the, you know, the San Francisco conference. And before you knew it, you know, it was like you would know that you, your, your degrees of connectedness were always there with somebody and you could, you know, okay. it was always like, I mean, that's, that's to me, it's like anytime I meet someone now, it's very much like, okay, who are our common people? Who are our common interests? What are our common experiences? And that's something which, just doesn't really um, come across on Twitter at all, really. I mean, you'll see, oh, so-and-so retweeted someone, eh, you know, but but I, I don't, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I do, you know, I, I think... I think that there are a lot of other things that will do it better than than. Well, uh, I think, no, but retweeting is how you introduce someone to, to people. It's, it's, right. it's, it's how you say, "Oh, here's this person that's interesting," and the and you know. But is it a means, person or is it a thought? It's a it's a it's a thought that, that connects to the person because it, it gives you the option of saying that's an interesting thought. You're then one mm-hmm. click away from seeing what that person says and deciding whether to follow sure. them or to reply. And then you follow them and then they get in your feed and you've got zillions of people in your you know, feed and you never get to see what they know, have it, to say. What's interesting, Brian, is uh, and, and Kevin, is I don't always connect based on thought. Sometimes I'm connecting right. on how good a listener and supportive somebody is. Uh, if you want some of that, I mean, like Sarah Dopp is a very good appreciator of people and that's something I notice in her feed and, and, and putting out appreciations is not the same thing as here's a miraculous insight, but you wouldn't really feel like you were there, uh, if you didn't have some acknowledgement of what you were saying. Um, and you wouldn't, and that's part of how community gets formed. So I'm sometimes looking uh, for different things. Like for example, for example, Jay, who's in our, our chat room now, I know because he's kind of jumped into conversations I've had, or I've noticed some of the things he said. I think it's actually quite much easier on Twitter to jump into some, mm-hmm. something with someone you don't know. It's one of, if not the single most important quality of Twitter, I'd say mm-hmm. is yes. it that the social space for getting into something is quite easy and it's quite acceptable and simple. And in that sense, Brian, it's similar to a very early web uh, quality of uh, when you yeah. got on Folist or one of these places, people were extraordinarily accessible, especially mm-hmm. compared to when you were used to the entertainment business, which was built around inaccessibility that I worked right. in. Uh, right. All of a sudden, right. you're in an environment where, I mean, I remember the first time I learned this about the web was 94, 95, and I met Jane, founded Wired. Jane Metcalf. And yeah. I was like just trying to get involved in things. It was, you know, I'd worked in Hollywood. I knew I was going to try something around here, but I was just perplexed. And she said to me, 
oh, if you have an email address and someone else has an email address, which will tell you how early email was, <laughs> um, <laughs> then then if you respond to something or you just engage them in a conversation, they will talk to you. And I remember having a hard time, like if she hadn't been very intense about it and obviously had done it and was not having this as a throw-off conversation, I wouldn't have believed it because I was not used to that as a reality in the world. And I think each of these mediums or forms needs that, that thing about it in order for it to, to be, make it easier to grow and connect people. It has to be quite easy to jump between people. I think the point of it being that, being Twitter being like, I think that the point of Twitter being so lightweight to get started and that you can just see what someone says, it literally is like standing at a cocktail party and walking by the conversation. Yeah, but there's cocktail party where people are approachable and it's easy to talk to them. There's a cocktail party where... I meant where they're approachable. There's something about the approachability. and, And I mean, so what do you think, Brian, when you've made a forum or what you're calling a marketplace, what, Mm -hmm. what do you think is important to do to make that approachability be there? Well, it's, it's actually interesting because, uh, for most of my shows, I've had a theme of, you know, everybody figure out who you want to connect with and they're going to be there and just go up and kind of, uh, you know, introduce yourself and try to figure out what, what you guys can do together. And this show, my last SF Music Tech Summit, was by far the best show I've ever done. And I wonder if it largely came from a little introduction I made where I'm like, let's take this one step further. When you go up to somebody, instead of saying, what can we do, say, what are you looking for? And then figure out who you know who should be connected and then make that introduction. So it's kind of like, how Mm. do we extend the network effect beyond just the people who are connecting into the networks of the people who are connecting. And, you know, it's getting more and more like a hive brain out there. And, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting times because so much of it is, is how approachable folks are. And a lot of that is, you know, who's there. And I'm really lucky with my shows that, you know, I'm not like a hard sell. I'm very much like it's self-selecting. You know, it's like, do you guys want to come to my show? You're all welcome. I think, you know, you'd all fit in fabulously. And that makes a lot, you know, you would select to come. Whereas there are plenty of folks who are like, oh, what's the return going to be? Or I don't really know, you know, and it's like, and then when we hold people up as interesting people, because they are, I mean, it's like, people are like, how do you choose panelists? I'm like, I find the person who I want to learn more about, and those are the ones I invite. And then it's like, it, it, it's all about it's all about the people. And then by definition, if you're on a panel, you're doing something. Folks are like, well, Brian finds that person interesting. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. it's all you know networks and references and reputation and. Uh, you know, I mean, there are folks who will never speak on a panel at my show, and they'll ask me every time, and I'm very nice about it, but I'm like, eh, I saw you screw those other people. You know what? No. <laughs> you know? And, or or uh, also, if they're very transactional people, um, mm-hmm. then, they, then they're not adding, they're less likely to add something to environment. I mean, one of the key things I teach when I'm teaching and presenting, or just the kind of performance I'm doing, is to focus on uh, informational flow and social flow. And I think if you pay attention to social flow, and I'm sure, Brian, you don't even pay, maybe you're not always thinking about the fact that you're doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. You're, if all you're looking at is this moment with the person, then, and I know this is what Umer Hake is focusing on in part with his economic critiques, then you're missing um, 
making the entire thing better for everybody in a way that's what a notion of a platform is when it works. It's something that mm-hmm. uh, if it gets something grows, it, it benefits everybody, not just the person who had that one little thing. Mm-hmm. And so when people behave very transactionally in an environment, they add nothing to the overall environment. They almost take away from the environment. Yeah. And you, t- and you so naturally said, well, maybe this one thing that I did made the difference at the last show. And, and very often it is that it can be one very subtle thing sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you Absolutely. said to you, you, uh, whether subconsciously or consciously were giving a very lightweight tutorial in teaching people how to tumble or how to be better social um, entities. Oh, I, I appreciate you know. it. I mean, when people show up, the first thing they walk into is a big spread of bagels and locks. I mean, you know, it's like start the day right. And it, but it you actually lo- said it to them, though. You, you, you I actually said it to them. You verbally yes. suggested how people should go about engaging with each other, and it's amazing how we need that prompting. Many people mm. need that prompting or reminding mm. or whatever. Well, people are shocked. And you made it, and you also took away the risk for people who who find it difficult to do that because they're instructed to do that. Because they're That's instructed to do it. They're right. supposed to do. Right. I was told I should ask you about yourself, so I can do it. Mm-hmm. So we've got about ten minutes left. If there's anything, uh, Brian, you want to make sure we get into, or anyone in the chat room, let us know in the time that we have. Uh, Kevin, anything you want to really make sure we got into it, Mister Zisk? Um, I think I think we covered a, a, a chunk of it. I, th- I wanted to sort of go back to the um, chat we were having about. I think this this ties back to to the Quora thing, which is we all remember these sort of early web experiences when um, you could email anyone and they would reply because the number of people there weren't abusing it, they weren't weren't you know spoiling it, if you like. Right. Um, and I had, a, I had a fascinating conversation on another one of these mailing lists I'm on, which is. Um, an internet architecture mailing list that is full of these guys who built the internet, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and they started grumbling about Facebook and Twitter saying they couldn't see the point and why would anyone use this thing? And it's like, <laughs> do you guys remember email when it came out and how cool it was? Well, mm-hmm. you know, we still put up with email because we remember that because you, the only people on it were the interesting people and they would respond. Um, and, you know, these guys still live in mailing lists and live on email, whereas... Anyone who's sort of come along in the last 10 years, email is this sort of constant pollution that you have to fight to actually find a nugget of interest in. Um, but Facebook and Twitter now have that, that feel that the early email did. And the, 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 tying it back to Quora is that Quora is at that point. Quora has been the place that everyone there is interesting and they're all the in crowd. Maybe, maybe describe what Quora is in case someone listens to this and doesn't know. Quora is a question-answer site. It's um, you People post questions... Um, and then you post answers to the questions and they try and um, vote up and down and collect the best answer to that question. That's, that's the theory of it. And there have um, been many, many question and answer many. sites. Yeah, but why is- all of a sudden Quora is Because the cool kids it. are on it. Because, so Quora makes you sign in with Facebook um, and it was built by two ex-Facebook guys. And so they got all the, the angels and the sort of self-important value people to sign up for it and talk about startups on it. Um, and so it's, it had this like in-crowd feel to it um and that that's what it's been like for the past few months um and then just recently um it, it did actually start to take off and it's now hitting that inflection point we were talking about and um where suddenly there are lots of people there and they're getting to the point where they need to they're thinking about do we need to you know do we need to have some rules in the constitution do we need to explain what's going on here um and the the 
the site admins, the, the people who run the site, are now sort of trying to impose structure and decide what should be said there to try and ke- to keep it the way they want to. And they're not being particularly um, tumbly about this. I'm not sure we, we, would you have an adjectival <laughs> form yet? Um, <laughs> uh, there's, there's a post that Charlie Cheever puts. He was said, the commitment to keeping Quora high quality. Um, and he's sort of, before anyone joins, now when people join the sites, we're going to give them a big list of things they should and shouldn't do to encourage right. them to do the right thing. Oh, well, I think that's going to be the end of Quora. Um, and I, there, I saw a bunch of accounts last week of people who'd started posting questions and then Quora people would edit their questions or argue with them about the shape of the questions. Oh, and it I felt more just, like those those Wikipedia <laughs> conversations. You know, I was just getting excited to join it. I was all excited to join it. Well, I think mm-hmm. well, still, it, it, it can still self-correct itself if the community, you know, if the community, if it's the community, early enough. If, if the community can, can take off and make it work that way. Um, it, but... And you know, I contrast it with um, Stack Overflow, which is another question and answer site that was designed for programmers um, and right. built um, built by um, uh, Joel of Joel on Software and oh, I forgot the other guy's name, but basically two guys who, who already had a public presence with programmers. It was the chap who, who um, did like bad code of the day website. Okay. Um, it'll, it'll come. Anyone can Google it who wants to find out who did it. Yeah. And uh, but so, so, but what they did there was was much more um, build it around the community, build mechanisms, and think about that to begin with. And Quora seems to have not quite had the same depth of um, you know thinking about the structure of the site and more much been much more focused on um, what they what they want it to be rather than how they can do it in collaboration with the audience. Yeah, on the well, there used to be something called a truism called tools, not rules. You know, along with you own your own words, it was a way where, you know, it's like, we're not going to say what people can do or can't do. It's like, okay, you can't post someone's credit card number. But outside of that, it's really, you know, wide open. And then, you know, you you wouldn't really say there are uh, rules, you have to do it this way, but there were kind of like community standards. And if you crossed over a line, people would ignore you. And then there was, I don't know if you guys remember Jeff Postganser, but he wrote a tool called the Bozo Filter. And if there was someone who drove you nuts, you wouldn't drive them away. You would just install the Bozo Filter, point it at that person, and anytime they posted something, you wouldn't see what they would say. It would just say Bozo. And it's a really good way to say, you know, this is, this is a, a open forum. This is an open marketplace. Everyone adds what they want. If they're a loser, that's reflected in the words that they put there, but they have as much right to be there as you do. And it's your responsibility not to let them drive you nuts. Yeah, th- this is short. <laughs> you know what? If you put into the country, I like the way you said that. Yeah. The, that <laughs> phrase, if you, if you tell everybody, whether it's Obama or Palin or whoever it is, exactly. it's your responsibility to not let somebody drive you nuts. That that sort of boils down very quickly to a lot of the difficulty we have with public conversation. Mm-hmm. That that if, for me to be happy, I need you guys to go away. <laughs> yeah, and then it'll be okay. Yep, and that won't happen, or that that can't be forced upon someone. Well, that's well, that's but you know, that's it's the very sort of the, interesting. The bozo filter, the block thing, isn't it? It's like yes. I could make you go away for me, so I'm not responding to you. Um, so you know, it, it's having the system to say, if I block that person so that I can't see them anymore, that will make me feel better. 
Right. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, if, exactly. If you, if you can't actually have the sort of um, equanimity when they're around, you, you need to you owe it to yourself to say, I need to stop seeing this person so I won't respond to them and annoy everyone else. So uh, I actually um, consciously did that with someone, and uh, it took who? me. And I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying who. And it was interesting because then in a in a social context, I, I had completely forgotten that I removed this person from my digital life. And someone mentioned the person's name and I said, oh, my God, what's what's happened to this person? I haven't heard any. And as I began to say that I haven't heard anything, you know, from neither hide nor hair from this person, it dawned on me like, oh, my God, they're just removed from my life. So the annoyances, you know. There's still, you know, and so it was this, I better keep my mouth shut because I'm going to give away the secret. But, you know, that that is the personal responsibility of your, uh, it is your personal responsibility to take care of your emotional well-being rather than mm-hmm. lashing out at others, Brian Zisk, is yes. to Heather's point, um, completely brilliant. And it's interesting that conservatives are always so big on sort of personal responsibility and Maybe not personal emotional responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you can say the same thing about the about left, and I'm just as oh, guilty, absolutely, you absolutely. know, in the wake of um, you know, Palin's just nothing but an incredible test of this of this thing for for some people. Like, okay, can I handle not losing my mind because this person will say whatever things that will bother me? I mean, so what? They should mean we've all been on web. We should, we, should, we need to get better at dealing with it. Of course, everything comes back to her in my. Yeah. Obsession. Um, I <laughs> I want to sort of put her foot in it. So. Make sure that we wrap up on time this week. So it, it's been kind of it's been kind of neat just to get into real basics of how interpersonally you bring people together. And something that, you know, Brian, you've been doing really well for a long time. Do you have any new projects uh, coming up you want to let people know about? And well, I've got, I've got one new startup that I can't talk about that I'm very, very excited about. And then on February 28th, we're doing a Future of Money and Technology Summit, which is a lot of fun. And uh, then on May 9th, I'm doing the SF Music Tech Summit. And it's kind of ironic because um, the way I do my conferences, they're very much based on like big festivals, like big concerts, like a huge Grateful Dead show. And it's so funny mm-hmm. because you have a really serious topic. But I remember the days where you would go out with, you know, you go to Bonnaroo with 100,000 of your friends. And it's all about connecting and meeting and having a good time and finding ways where, you know, it's not necessarily about doing business right this second, but it's like, oh, this is these are my people. You guys are you know, your best friends with Heather. Oh my God, you must be a fabulous person. And putting it in, in some sort of context where it just, it just, you know, God, I hate to use the word, but where it really helps build community. And that's, and that's, I mean, it's become such an evil word, but in reality, that's what it's about. It's about these overlapping affinity groups that just, you're like, oh my God, I never knew you, but I can tell right away that you're fabulous. And that's one of the interesting things. Now it's like in the past, you'd meet someone, they'd be fabulous. Maybe you'd run into them 20 years later. Now you meet them, you start following them. And all of a sudden, you know what's going on with their life on a day-to-day basis. And, And if there's anything that a lot of this social networking really may have done, it's allowing people to take what are initially loose bonds with people they meet and watch them solidify over time. I just saw a thread and it had a 
phenomenal on Facebook. It had a great friend of mine from Washington, D.C. and another great friend of mine from San Francisco who I haven't seen in 10 years. And I'm like, how are you guys connected? But it just makes so much sense. And this is the sort of thing that if if you're, you know, face to face, one on one, it's a lot harder. But, you know, I'll have a show and it'll be like 800 people and I'll watch people be like, Oh my God, I haven't seen you since college 30 years ago. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, there are these groups of people that all want to kind of sift together and connect and whether it's social media or whether it's a big party or whether it's a conference or whether they're the same or different on some level, there are really a lot of similarities. Cool. Can, can, uh Brian, it's been a pleasure to have you, and I uh, just want to make sure anybody else has any announcements. Debs, Kevin, anything else you want to let people know about? Mm. Ooh, that was like a harmony. <laughs> mm. Not yet. We'll have some stuff to talk about in the coming Next weeks. Week. Yeah. yeah, you'll see. Well, Stay Brian, tuned. Brian Zisk, Tumblr, and... Uh, now he's decided he's into money. <laughs> He'll figure. Money's bigger than music, you know, but this has been a great conversation. <laughs> I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's so fun to get together with such fabulous folks. And it's like, you know, I see Deb, what, a couple times a year out at conferences. Kevin, I see a little more. Heather, you moved away. When are you coming back? But, and Andrew, <laughs> I can't wait to meet you in person. Andrew's great. Andrew so, is great. Is great. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll be in San Francisco. I don't know the dates yet. I have uh, some basic stuff to take care of here in Toronto. Uh-huh. Um, I, I just actually, the show is kind of inspiring me. I have to get rid of my car and um, I'm going to need to do some tumbling, I think, because I want to come up with some creative way to do that. Oh, uh, we should. Uh, I'm in a bit of an awkward situation. It needs to be sold in the U.S. It ideally as close to the border as possible so I can get back in quickly. Um, unless there's some creative game we could play with it online where somebody wants it somewhere else and there's a way to get it there. So, um, I'm thinking Buffalo or Detroit. (laughs) If there's some other fun, you know, prize where somebody else wants to buy the car somewhere else, maybe they'll come get it. So I don't know. We'll have to tumble it. Uh, I, I bought this car when I started working at Apple actually. So it's, it's connected to Apple for me and driving to Cupertino and feeling like we're going to invent television, which we kind of felt like we did. It was early webcasting. So Uh it was a great history with, with the thing. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be carless, which will be cool and very environmental and freeing and very Canadian. Uh, so anyway, that's what I've got going on. I've got also some more I'm presenting workshops. I'll be speaking at OCAD, the Ontario College of Art and Design, uh, February 16th. I'll be teaching and presenting here in Toronto the next day and coming to Seattle, it looks like, in April. Uh, there's requests in Baltimore and Berlin. Thanks, uh, Andrew. So people who are interested in my workshop or me coming to their town, you could just put up a page on Facebook and their groups getting together doing that. And then I'm booking cities accordingly so thanks to brian zisk for my my first early fantastic encouragement you you've always been fabulous oh so sweet such a such a such a love and congratulations on all your thousands of conferences thank you thank you and i hope you'll be you'll all come because in reality you guys are the sort of folks who everyone should meet so 
love to have Aww. any of you Aww. in any you're gonna make us cry. It was come tumble. We are starting to go as a as a band, as it were. That's right. Conferences, and we'll do a tumble session, which is kind of fun, where we open conferences and we sort of connect the room. Very cool. That's yeah, we awesome. should we should real time tumble one of your yeah. Have us real time tumble. It's good Sounds time. Sounds like fun. Sounds it's like good fun. Times. And you get like a crazy slide. You get like one Kevin Mark slide that blows your freaking mind, and you don't really need any more slides. He just needs one. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, it's been great. I want to thank Andrew, producer Andrew in thank Baltimore, you, and uh, Zeno and Myers and Wiseman and all of our folks who are here, and Christy Dina, who's just like now a serious loyal part of our. She is, which is awesome. And everyone else out there is listening. We'll be back. We have an incredible lineup of talent yes. uh, in the next little while. Uh, you're going to see Lisa Bialava, who was in Philip Glass Ensemble for a long wow. time and is a brilliant composer and musician. I, Brian, I really encourage you to listen in. She's mm-hmm. really brilliant. Maybe genius, maybe mistake could be possibly certainly brilliant and working on, um, on some interesting composition projects that involve massive amounts of people and musicians in public space, connecting people in public space through music. We've got Umara Hake. Uh, really one of the most interesting right. economists going on the next week after that with the Capitalist Manifesto and lots more folks after that. Jeff Jarvis coming up, Ryan Gold, all your favorite humanizing folks online. So, yes, it's a long wrap-up. Uh, I just want people to know to come back. Uh, we'll see you here next week at 8 o'clock PST on Thursday. And with that, we're out of here. We'll see you next week. Night, good people. Night, night. No, I do night. 